0: So hello everyone and welcome back to The Pulse Podcast. My name is Jeff Frost. I'm a fourth year resident in physiatry here in BC. Oh, I forgot my intro. The Pulse Podcast, the podcast that talks about everything residency in the beautiful province of British Columbia. I could edit that so that everything's in the right order, but I'm not going to. <laughs> so I'm joined by a wonderful guest here today. Julie, do you mind introducing yourself?
1: Yes, thank you very much. Uh, My name is Julie Kwan and I'm the Business Development Manager of Insurance at Doctors of BC, your not-for-profit professional association.
0: Awesome. Julie, thank you for being here. So I do want to quickly differentiate that you are from Doctors of BC and (laughs) I work for Resident Doctors of BC. So there's always that differentiation. We are different organizations.
1: Yes. uh, So we do have very similar names, but of course, Resident Doctors of BC is your employer association, when you're in practice or as a resident, you can become a voluntary member of Doctors of BC. Uh, what we do is negotiate your fees and your benefits and um, provide insurance programs as practicing physicians as well as for students and residents. So we are different organizations. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And when it, yeah, and so I guess to me, the high level thing is we negotiate contracts for residents. You guys negotiate contracts for doctors.
1: Pretty much, yes.
0: Awesome. Okay. So as you can tell, Julie's here. She's a business manager. So that means we're going to talk about really fun things like finance. And today we are going to talk about disability insurance. Drum roll, please. So if you've been a long time listener to the Pulse podcast, you know that we will have covered this before, but things have changed. Thanks to our recent negotiations, there's been a big change in the way that you as a resident get disability insurance. So we wanted to update that information. Now, if you don't know the difference between disability insurance, critical illness insurance, house insurance, all that kind of stuff, please refer to episode 5E, where we talk about those differences. Today, we're just going to be focusing on disability insurance. But, uh, Julie, I got to warn you, I don't know how many questions I get about this a week. I could probably yeah. do it on a weekly count. So this is a big topic for residents. Everyone does care about it, and I think for a good reason. Uh, so why don't we just start, like, what is disability insurance? Break it down for me. What's the one sentence definition?
1: Disability insurance is a program that would provide you a monthly benefit amount if you're unable to work due to accident, illness, or sickness. And sickness could include like mental health breakdown or or stress or anxiety that prevents you from working.
0: Awesome. Thank you. That's a great definition. Uh, I want to highlight something I've I've been talking about for a while is that residents are in this incredibly unique financial position where we have a moderate to minimal income but a very, very high debt load that very few people in society find themselves in because very few banks will give you a lot of debt if you don't have a high income to match that debt. Uh, And so for us, the idea of income replacement in the context of illness is a really big deal because if we find ourselves in a situation where we can't work, but we still have this massive debt, we're in kind of a financial quagmire. Um, I don't know if you'd agree. Completely. Yeah, so to me, it's always been important for me personally that I am well insured on this front, because while we're insuring against or protecting ourselves against a a small probability event, so the chances of me being injured to the point where I can't work are, are probably objectively pretty small. If it were to happen, it would be financially catastrophic. So I like to make sure that I'm insured against it
1: for sure you know you're in one of the few professions where if you're not working no money is coming in unlike say a dentist where they'll have hygienists to help earn money even if they're not at the office if you're not working you're not earning income so that's really important i would say too though the number of physicians being disabled is relatively high again because it encompasses so many newer illnesses um, that are more widely accepted like mental illness mm. Uh, and, of course, the physician occupation is very stressful.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we, it, uh, I guess that's a, a good pushback. So maybe it's not as uncommon or unlikely as I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so certainly we should, I think, as residents, again, personal opinion, um, be well prepared, well insured against that worst case outcome so that we don't get trapped by our med school debt, which can be $150,000 to $250,000 for some of us. So, Yeah
1: for sure. And it even covers, uh, if you're thinking about the income that it pays out, really the lifestyle expenses of just living comfortably, especially in BC is very high. Yeah. So covering your, the debt that you owe, even if you can't become a working physician or paying for food, medical yeah. expenses. Yeah. Yeah. Retirement.
0: Yeah. We're definitely going to dig into that. Like how much money do you, do you need? Cause that's a big question, but Let's just go over the basics. So you explained what disability insurance is, which is great. But then we often get these questions about how do I qualify? What does it cover? So why don't we start with how do I qualify? How would I end up needing to use disability insurance?
1: So you can make a claim if, again, any reason uh, due to accident or illness you're not able to work. And usually, a policy would have options for you to receive partial benefits if you're only partially able to work because sometimes it's not all or nothing with a disability.
0: Right. And I think this digs into one of the niddiest, grittiest questions that I get, I don't know, every week probably, which is what is the difference between own occupation and any occupation from the purposes of a disability insurance plan?
1: Mm-hmm. So, for example, your employer disability plan provided through resident doctors of BC has an own occupation for the first two years and then any occupation thereafter. So the own occupation means that if you cannot do your own job, your specific job duties due to accident or illness and you're uh, seeing a physician for that, uh, then you would receive full benefits. Even if you could and chose to work outside in a new occupation. So that could be maybe uh, you end up not being able to be a resident and then you work for an insurer as a medical consultant or you start to teach medicine at uh, the university or uh, something unrelated to medicine. So you can work in that other occupation and earn full benefits as well as whatever income you could be earning. That's what own occupation does it allows you to get benefits paid out just because you cannot do your specific job?
0: Gotcha. Now, I'd love to use an example here just to demonstrate this. So, the story that I've heard, whispered around residency rooms, uh, is that there was a general surgeon somewhere—I don't know where—somewhere in Canada—who <laughs> out ATVing on the weekend rolled their ATV and mangled their left hand. Now, they happen to be right-hand dominant, but they could no longer perform surgery because you need both hands to do that. So, they were considered disabled from the point of view of their occupation as a surgeon. So they went on their disability plan. But they still had functional use of their right hand, and they still had their all their mental faculties, so they could still write. And they just retrained as, I believe it was a psychiatrist is the way the story goes, and they now happily work as a full-time psychiatrist while also collecting on their disability insurance plan because they can no longer work as a surgeon. So I think that's the extreme case, but I think it demonstrates the point.
1: Exactly, you know that's a great example, Jeff. Uh, Surgeons tend to take this feature on a policy if it's optional because they just have more opportunity potentially to claim on it. Mm -hmm. However, something to note with own occupation is does if you were to select it on your own plan, it usually increases your cost around you know twenty to even I'd say up to forty percent, and you would have to be disabled in such a way that you could utilize this feature. The Mm -hmm. surgeon could have, instead of rolled over in his ATV, maybe he's paraplegic and can't work in another occupation. Uh, And then there are other occupations where you're probably less likely to use that type of feature, such as psychiatry. A lot of psychiatrists tell me, if I couldn't do my job in any capacity, I'd be a vegetable, you know, for example.
0: I think that I think that is a great thing about that story is the counterexample it provides. So psychiatry, and this is in no means like a knock on mm-hmm. psychiatry, but it's not a very physical field in that they there's no demands on their use of their hands in most cases. I do know some people do ECT. Don't at me. <laughs> but for most psychiatrists, it's not a very physical position. Oh, don't worry, those lights will come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, our podcast studio has just gone dark for the listeners. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so the chances of them qualifying for an, for own occupation go drastically down. I think that's the point you're making, mm-hmm. right? Right. So just because you're in residency doesn't necessarily mean own occupation is right for you. But the rule of thumb that I was always given was if you're in a surgical program, it almost certainly is good for you. And if you're in another program, think about it.
1: Yes. Uh, for resident, residency in particular, it's uh, even regardless of the specialty that you're in own occupation can be good in that you're more likely to retrain uh, if you couldn't complete your residency. Mm -hmm. Like you may not be able to be a full-time practicing physician, uh, but you may have the stamina, the uh, ability to want to have a new career because you're so young. Mm -hmm. And so having one occupation as a resident, ironically, sometimes is ideal, but when you actually go into practice, then you don't really need that feature because you can accommodate your job to to, to continue working, if okay. that makes sense.
0: Gotcha, because realistically, the end goal for a physician where you're a high earner is to get off disability and find some way to earn an income because it's unlikely that your disability plan will ever replace your income that you could have just earned by working. Mm-hmm. Fair.
1: Yeah, like if you were a uh, resident, it may be hard to accommodate your training with your disability. But if you are a practicing independent physician, you know, you can design your practice the way you want. So you have more opportunity to continue working in some modified way rather than the rigors of residency that you must go through.
0: Right. So I I can provide a specific example here to help. Maybe illuminate this. So I'm currently trying to get an EMG license, which is a specific kind of diagnostic test that physiatrists can do. And to do that, I certainly need to be able to use both of my hands. Uh, if I couldn't use both of my hands, I wouldn't be able to function in, in an EMG lab. But were I to graduate and get the certification and then lose one hand function? I can only lose one. I need but <laughs> say back to our story, I mangled my left hand in an ATV accident. I could then hire a technologist for sure to help me out on the understanding that they had to help accommodate my lost hand function and could probably get through the day. But as a resident, it certainly wouldn't be okay for me to only have one hand
1: function. Correct. Correct. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So long story short, own occupation, it means that that very specific job, if I can't do it, I get to claim on my disability, I get an income replacement. Correct. And then what's this any occupation stuff that we hear about?
1: Yes, so any occupation means that if you can claim if you could not do a job that you're recently trained and qualified to do, and it becomes very subjective. Um, based on the claims adjudicator and the insurer, and as a resident in particular, you're not a practicing physician yet. So even if you can't do the work of a practicing physician, the the insurer may say, "Well, you could do something else uh, with your medical school training, such as teach somewhere or work in research." Ew.
0: <laughs> work for big pharma something like that exactly yeah, and, yeah. and
1: the job doesn't have to be available for you, to you it doesn't have to actually exist in the area that you're living it's just that you can technically do such a sort of job and therefore you are not eligible for claim anymore so oh. like for your resident doctor's employer plan it has own occupation for the first two years and then any occupation thereafter so most likely most of the claimants would have to return to work or basically stop receiving benefits after two years because it's a lot more difficult to continue your claim on any occupation definition.
0: Right. And kind of the extreme example that I've always heard here is that like you were good enough to get into medical school. You're probably smart enough to work as a parking lot attendant. Uh, I don't know if that holds water for you, but that's what I've always been told that uh, if you've only got an any definition of disabilities, there's a good chance that there's a job out there.
1: There probably is a good chance of uh, a job out there, uh, not necessarily uh, flipping burgers or uh, cleaning out trash cans, but maybe working, again, as a a researcher or at a, a hospital in administration. Right. And maybe you're way overqualified for that, but unfortunately, you're not qualified yet to be considered at the physician level either.
0: Right, right, right. And there's always some nebulousness around this point for me when it comes to income. So the way I understood it is if they could find you a job, any job, that would provide you with an income greater than your disability payout, you were off disability. You had to take that job. If the disability payout was higher than the job that was available, you could still stay on disability. Is that understanding correct?
1: It depends on the insurer. Usually, uh, generally with insurers, they use the, if you're reasonably trained and qualified, and they actually don't look at the income. They might look at the income like generally, um, but they're not going to say specifically if, if this job, because many different research jobs, for example, will pay different levels. So it's very hard for them to determine based on the income that you potentially could earn. And plus, who knows if you would actually get that job anyways. So they usually go by the trained and qualified to do and look at your credentials and say, let's look at job descriptions gotcha. and You could qualify if you worked here and there. Again, you may still not be uh, employed by those companies, but the insurer will say you could be. Your yeah, your resume matches what they're asking.
0: If I put your resume into JobHunter.com, it would match you with this job.
1: Mm -hmm, Correct. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So high-level takeaway from what I've gotten so far is disability insurance is a mechanism to replace replace my income when when or if I'm no longer able to work due to an injury or illness. If I have any occupation coverage, that means that if at any point after my initial diagnosis, I can get back to some form of work, I will probably move off of disability. If I have own occupation coverage at any point after my injury or disability, if I'm not able to return to the specific job I was doing beforehand, i.e. in my case, physiatry resident, uh, then I would continue to stay on disability, irrespective of what else I get up to. Maybe, maybe I'm good enough to join the circus and do that. That's fine. But if I can't get in, get back to being a physiatry resident, I still claim for, on my disability.
1: Correct. There is. Uh, that's a great summary, Jeff. And I should probably add here that there is a middle definition. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, and that middle definition is regular occupation throughout the duration of the policy. So the own occupation is sort of the elite definition where you could earn money elsewhere elsewhere plus your benefits, and actually be in a better financial position than before you were disabled. Uh, so, lucky individual in a way.
0: We don't want to encourage non-work <laughs> uh,
1: The other definition that's just a notch down, which is still a very good definition and can be the basis of uh, many physicians' policy, is regular occupation throughout the policy. And that means, uh, again, if you cannot do the major substantial duties of your job, as long as you're not working in another job, The insurer will never push you, but if you decided to work in another job, the insurer will Mm. say, fine, but we're going to reduce your benefits based on the new Mm. income you're Mm. earning. Mm. I call it the even-steven definition, right? It just puts you back to where you were before you were disabled. It's not a windfall. It's uh, sort of uh, a fair payment. So Mm. that is fine. And a lot of physicians take regular occupation throughout the duration of the policy.
0: Right. But as residents, is that something we have available to us? Because I've never been offered that when I talk to insurance agents about disability insurance plans.
1: It tends not to be pushed outside in the industry. Uh, be- there are several reasons. One is own occupation has higher premiums. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so sometimes brokers like to uh, benefit from that. But also because, yes, own occupation is sort of the top of the line in th- and sometimes people equate to physicians as top of the line. However, regular occupation is still very uh, applicable to many people's situation. And so Doctors of BC, in our old resident plan, we actually used to offer it. We offer it to practicing members mm. uh, so people don't have to pay for a sort of this elite definition that they don't have a likelihood of claiming. Using, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's probably why you don't hear about it too much and own okay. occupation is really pushed. Gotcha. There's also a lot of confusion with regular occupation and any occupation. Right. So that that's... Which are
0: not the same. Correct. And so just to be clear, regular occupation, if I get any other job that and it wouldn't pay me as much as my physician job would, this rider would make up the difference.
1: Uh, correct. So yeah, uh, so that, let's, that's a different let's see way some of putting numbers. It.
0: Let's say I was going to make $100,000 as a physiatrist. I get a job at McDonald's instead making $30,000, but I have this regular occupation rider. So my insurance kicks in 70000 to make up the
1: difference. So maybe we can put it this way as an example that your benefit amount is $10,000. Uh, so you chose a disability plan that would pay you $10,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And then you go out and decide to earn income and now earn $5,000. Right. So the insurer okay. would reduce your benefit to $5,000.
0: But I'm also making $5,000. Exactly. So my net in is ten. Got it, exactly. perfect. So that's actually great because the next question I wanted to move on to was like, how how does this work? What happens? Like if I go on disability... We've been through the on ONOC, regular OCC, I qualify, whatever. Then what happens? Like, do I get a check every month? What do I actually experience as a person?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So there's usually a wait period or also known as an elimination period. That's mm-hmm. quite uh, ominous sounding. But uh, a wait period where you have to be disabled before you can make the claim. So be eligible for the claim. Gotcha. And then after that period, then yes, uh, you would have to send in the paperwork. Usually your doctor would have to help fill that out, complete Mm -hmm. a portion. And then the claims adjudicator, the people at the insurance office would review that and determine if you're eligible for the claim and they would uh, pay you Sounds like a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> it, it, Depending depending on the policy you created and then sure you yeah. chose uh, it can be but hopefully most physicians have chosen the right type of plan for them and then you would get a monthly amount. Sometimes it's taxable sometimes it's non-taxable so your employer plan with ResDocs is uh, taxable yep. um, Usually the plans when you purchase them on your own voluntarily as a top up then that would be non-taxable and yep. that's usually paid automatically through your bank to your bank account
0: gotcha okay so once a month i'm getting a payment okay and then i move on from there that's it that's the basics of insurance mm-hmm. that i can think of is there anything else you want to cover for what is disability insurance
1: we didn't talk about how long you could claim oh, the benefits for that's
0: great that's yes that does come up so sorry i have internalized it to age 65 because i think every plan i've ever seen offers that but uh yeah break it down for me how long do i stay on this for
1: Yes. Physicians should have a plan to age 65, at least. Uh, so there are plans out there that have less of a, of a period benefit period, but typically, hopefully, physicians are being offered out there in the marketplace to age 65. And the resident doctor's plan as well is to age 65. So your benefit would last until you're able to return to work, the earlier of returning to work or to age 65.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So I think that's the basics. So then the big questions that keep coming up are, well, we renegotiated this contract. So now we have employer disability insurance, but everyone keeps telling me that I need to buy private disability insurance on top of that. So what I wanted to start with was just running through what our employer-offered disability insurance plan gives us, how I get this disability insurance what happens when I get disabled, and then talk about some of the private ones. And I know you are here representing the doctors of BC who do offer one of the private plans where we're continually advertised. So it'll be great to hear what you think of, of what your plan offers. So just to start with, our plan. Number one, how do you get on the plan? You are on the plan. If you are a resident in British Columbia and you're being paid by the Vancouver Coastal Health Authority, you are on the plan. It requires no other work or effort. Congratulations you have disability insurance.
1: Easy peasy, right?
0: (laughs) In terms of what it offers. So it gives you 66.67% of your salary at the time that your claim was accepted. So if I'm an R3, or sorry, I'm an R4 now. So uh, if I get sick tomorrow, and need to go on my insurance, my disability insurance tomorrow, I will get 66.67% of an R4's salary, not including call stipends and stuff like that. Importantly, you brought this up earlier, but our disability insurance plan from the employer is paid with pre-tax money, so that means any benefit I get is taxed as income. If I go with a private plan, it's typically different and we'll get to that when we talk about your plan. Again, I stay on this the resident-offered disability insurance plan until age 65 and that question, is it own AUC or any AUC? It's interesting because our employer-offered plan is own AUC for two years, after which point it converts into any AUC. So there's a two-year time period where where if I can't work as a resident specifically, I access the disability plan, but after two years of being on the disability plan of receiving payouts, I'm then re-evaluated. And if I can work in any occupation, there's a change in my status and I may or may not continue to receive payouts from the plan. I think think that are the that is the basics of our plan anything to add to that
1: no uh, it's not opt out as you mentioned it's automatic and some people think oh well, do i have to be on this plan if if i have my own coverage but it is an employee benefit that you cannot opt out of
0: correct all right i think that's it so hit us with yours what do you got what's on your plan
1: so maybe we should talk about why people should have an extra disability plan and when you have this employer-paid Ooh, disability very good, plan. Very good. And I'll talk, uh, you know, yes, I'm from Doctors of VC, but we look out for the members. I, I'm non-commissioned, I should uh, say. I, I Our advisors don't receive any commissions. We're a not-for-profit organization. Mm. So I really want uh, people to um, get information from our discussion and apply it to, you know, whatever plan they decide to purchase. And so having an additional policy, I feel, is really really... really important because this employer plan does have its limitations. Mm. That wording of own occupation for two years and then any occupation thereafter really like not, not to knock on bus drivers or any other type of occupation, but that's the same definition that you would see on all employer plans, whether you're a teacher or bus driver Mm -hmm. or office worker. Mm -hmm. And so physicians, you know, residents are in a very, specific special fine category in that you're an employee yet you're going to in a couple years or five years time you're going to be in this sort of elite level professional job and so it is kind of a strange conundrum and because the plan does change in definition after two years because it is a taxable benefit to you when you receive Mm -hmm. it you know who really shaves off the value of the plan and then also Because when you go into practice, that plan doesn't continue to cover you. And then finally, the last reason why you should have another disability plan is that the, um, the, the, sorry, the, I'm I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, No worries. Maybe maybe, maybe we can just jump into numbers because I think where
0: you're heading to is, is, it's a numbers argument and it makes a lot of sense. So let's take myself as an example. So I'm a fourth year resident. So I think I make, $70,000. $70,000. I'm just going to say 70. You can Google it later. I'm forgetting off the top of my head. But let's call it $70,000. So if I were to become disabled, I would get 66% of that, which is about uh, twenty-three. Sorry, uh, $46,000. So if I'm getting $46,000 in income, that can be taxed. So in Canada, I think that would put me in like a 30% tax bracket. Yeah, let's say. Let's say 30%. So that means I'm losing... A further twelve thousand dollars to taxes. So yeah, my final take-home income is thirty-two thousand dollars at the end of the year. Don't at me. I'm doing math on the spot here. Yeah, (laughs) but thirty-two thousand dollars in Vancouver. I don't know how we got to this place. I blame the politicians. But thirty-two thousand dollars is not a lot of money. I might be able to get my rent covered. Maybe maybe groceries covered. But remember, I'm in this unique financial position where I probably have 150 dollars to $200,000 in debt that I need to pay off. So how am I going to do that when I just have enough money to pay for basics?
1: Exactly. And, and so
0: that's where the argument, I think, exists for having supplemental disability insurance. Because maybe the disability insurance we get through work alone just unfortunately isn't enough to cover living and the unique financial position of having a significant debt load.
1: Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, Jeff the benefits that you receive are so small comparative to the income that you will be earning in practice. Mm-hmm. And so if you're in the unfortunate situation of, yes, getting into debt or spending all your parents' money to get into medical <laughs> school, uh, <laughs> then you, and then you cannot fulfill on the income that you thought you would earn, yeah. um, that $32,000, don't forget, that takes you all the way, potentially, until age 65. There is right. an inflation factor built in, but obviously that's not quite a bit. And so you're expected to retire at age 65 with your own money. Benefits stop paying. Yes. And so, uh, 32,000, sometimes I I get, especially students and residents say, you know, I live very frugally. I'm really good at managing my money. I don't have any debt. So I think this is adequate. However, again, you may be disabled to 65. Is that enough money to help support a family or, you know, if you wanted to in the future. And so also medical expenses, that are unanticipated when you're disabled, that could be a lot.
0: Right. So at the end of the day, what we're trying to do here is forecast. We're trying to forecast if I were to get injured, is $32,000 enough? At the end of the day, that's a value judgment. I know that $32,000 for the lifestyle that I live wouldn't be enough. Maybe I need to reevaluate my lifestyle. But (laughs) (laughs) it has led me personally to conclude that getting supplemental uh, disability insurance is worth my time. But that's a decision for each individual. I want to flag that. Mm -hmm. So now that we understand kind of the parameters of that decision, what do you guys have on offer? What, what does the Doctor of BC plan offer?
1: Mm-hmm. So the Doctors of BC disability plan is, uh, was specially designed when your employer plan was introduced to work complementary. So because you have some coverage, or the, all the residents have some coverage through the association employer plan, uh, we didn't want to provide you with an extra amount of coverage and charge you a high amount either. We wanted to make sure that you had a reasonable amount in total. Mm. Um, We don't believe in sort of excess. And so our coverage at Doctors of BC can provide you with up to $3,000 of additional monthly tax-free coverage on top of the resident plan that you're receiving. Okay. And there's also a feature built into the policy. That says, it's called a top-up feature, which is very unique. And it says that if your employer plan stops paying after two years because the definition changes from own occupation to any occupation, hmm. we will pay an extra $2,000 on top of the coverage amount that you purchased, say $3,000. Gotcha. So you have a more aff- uh, affordable, uh, sorry, um, a more living wage res- that's being received. And so that would be 5000 And you don't have to pay for that extra feature. It's built into the policy. Right. The policy has a built-in definition of own occupation, Mm. and that's to, again, um, ensure that anybody who's a resident, potentially, maybe you cannot complete residency, but you Mm. want to retrain and do something completely different, then you have that opportunity to do so and still earn full benefits.
0: Okay, so big takeaways here, up to a maximum of $3,000 of tax-free, because I'm paying with after-tax money. That's a... technicality but mm-hmm. because I'm paying with money that's already been taxed when I get the benefit I don't get taxed up to age 65 I can get the own for the entirety of the plan and actually get a top-up that will keep it any for all the way to age 65 even if I'm on the government the current employer plan
1: yes the own occupation is built in yes awesome and that the, sounds really good and the top-up feature of 2000 yes I should so actually it,
0: it kind of perfectly matches with the employer disability insurance that we already have Mm-hmm. And let's go back to playing fun with numbers. So back to the example that I gave so thirty two thousand dollars was my annual uh, using the employer disability insurance plan currently. So that means that on a monthly basis I'm getting about two thousand seven hundred dollars. If I was on your plan as well, my total benefit would be two thousand seven hundred plus three thousand so I'm at five thousand seven hundred dollars per month.
1: So so what year are you at Jeff? fourth year fourth year okay. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so, so sorry. I think we'll have to go through this example again. Uh, so, your employer plan will be providing with the $32,000 after taxes. Okay. Yes.
0: Since after taxes mm-hmm. annually. So, on a monthly basis, I'm getting about 2700 Okay. And then I get the 3000 from you guys yes. for a total on a monthly total of $5,700. Oh, correct. Yes. Now, if we asked me that question again, is, is $5,700 enough to maintain my current standard of living? Definitely. So that's that's back to that value judgment question. Do you need to take out a second insurance plan to ensure that you can maintain your current standard of living while paying off debt while trying to save for retirement? And so that's how I ended up with the decision. Again, personal decision of getting a, a second insurance plan.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, uh, and I should also mention too that in uh, different years, so in Doctors ABC provides up to $3,000 of coverage from R1 to R5, and then from R6 to R7, you can increase that to 6000 Because Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you know, maybe you're a little bit more mature too. You've taken on some more debt. uh, And also... I thought maturity (laughs) meant you would make better
0: decisions. Stop spending (laughs) money.
1: Oh, those pesky family and home, right? And then, um, and fellowship, you can get up to $7,500 because you're closer to practice as well in in those later years and just trying to keep up with your income and your potential to earn and being closer to that time frame.
0: Okay. That's very interesting. So there are actually different levels of insurance even within your plan. Mm -hmm really good to know. Most important question, this involves purchasing something. What's the boundaries for costs?
1: Oh yeah, that's a great question, of course. So Doctors of BC, uh, we're not-for-profit and we know in residency, income is more limited. Mm. And so we are able to discount the premiums, you know, with our um, income from other sources. And so for students, for example, we pay for all their insurance premiums. Uh, so it's all complimentary to the students. And then in residency, premiums could range from, uh, so let's say, $200 a year, for coverage? What? Yeah, 200, Up to what? Two hundred to around four hundred. It also depends on a year. Yeah, a year. Even yeah. if I'm female. Uh yes. So in the four oh, hundreds wow. usually pretty if you female. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cheap. Okay, yeah. cool.
0: Cause I so that that's interesting to know. So it's let's say on the upper boundary of cost, an extra four hundred dollars a year to get the supplemental insurance. Cool. That brings us to your competitors who mm-hmm. are not that cheap. I'm aware of this. <laughs> and so what's the big difference then between like say Hazlet, RBC, and what you guys offer?
1: Well, I I like to start off by saying that I think as long as people have a plan that they're really comfortable with and that is designed particularly for physicians, you know, we don't mind if you're going somewhere else for coverage hopefully you've done the research and Mm -hmm. you've looked at the options. Mm -hmm. We just want to make sure that you're properly insured. The last thing we want is someone coming to us and saying, "Uh, I need to make a claim, but I don't have a plan. And that just, uh, that's just a terrible situation. So yes, there are other plans available. So for example, the RBC plan. And so that plan as well would pay out in addition to the employer plan and uh, their maximums are higher it's $4,500 in first year residency uh, they sort of designed the plan without the employer plan in mind right. you know whether you need that amount right. you, you do pay for the higher amount of coverage uh, they don't have the top-up feature so again that feature on the Doctors of BC plan allows us to pay out that extra $2,000 if the employer plan stops right. paying so that's kind of a nice Uh, no cost built-in feature the other plan if you wanted that higher level coverage you just have to pay for it off the top But it's also a good plan. So the main differences between the plans of RBC and Doctors of BC is the way the premiums are paid. Mm. So we're talking about the lower premiums of Doctors of BC. With RBC, you do get some discounts as a resident when you uh, first apply. And as well as you continue on the policy, there's a discount built in for you as, as being a physician. But the premiums of individual policies like RBC are usually higher to start with and are level throughout the duration of the policy. Right. Whereas Doctors of BC is low earlier on and then slowly increases in five-year age bands. Doctors of BC designs it to um, work with your income. As money right. is tighter in earlier years, we charge you less. Later on, your income rises and inflation right. makes it, uh, continues to make it affordable usually. So it's a different style of premium payments. Right. And in the end, if you're looking at it in early residency, usually the present value, so the calculation mm-hmm. of what the real value of the money is in today's dollars, because Mm -hmm. you're paying different amounts of premium is really the same. It's very similar. One might be a little bit higher than the other depending on age and and, uh, gender. So it really depends, I feel, on what people's preferences are in terms of do what they want to pay now? Do they feel like they have to have their premiums locked in? Are they comfortable right. with an uh, increasing scale? The other uh, main difference between the two policies is the RBC is a guaranteed policy. Mm. And so the features and the premiums that you're paying today stay the same. Right. When you buy more coverage, it would be based on your age at that time. And for doctors of BC, uh, it's a policy that technically is not guaranteed because Doctors of BC can make changes to the policy. Uh, this is
0: the group plan versus individual plan debate. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, and,
0: how, and group plan is what Doctors of BC offers where the specific terms within the contract can be changed. That's, yeah,
1: correct. In, mm-hmm. in in essence, that is uh, correct, Jeff. So we considered it an association plan because group plans tend to be more like employer plans. Mm. And with association plans, we have more flexibility. So When you're practicing, it is an association plan and we could potentially make some changes. We actually made a lot of enhancements to our plan uh, starting January 1st, 2020 Hmm. for all our practicing members. So one of the benefits of being on a plan that's not Locked in and guaranteed is it that it can get better, it can get better, and yeah. actually, it, it actually has so. Um, so, but yes, I, I can see that potentially, you know, yes, there's always uh, uh, you know the possibility of it getting worse, but I'm glad to say that we haven't changed rates in the last 20 30 years, okay. Um, so that's been great, and then we're making all these enhancements and it's going to everybody on the plan, which right. is quite amazing. So, so maybe yeah. then
0: the uh, I always thought the distinction between group plan and indiv- individual plan, why. Yeah while it might matter, it doesn't seem like it's ever panned out as mattering in like a court of law. It doesn't seem like anyone's changed the terms of their disability insurance so massively that very few people could qualify. That's the big fear with a group disability plan, right? And it doesn't seem like that's ever panned out. So to me, it struck me as a a non-important difference. I don't know if you would agree.
1: Yeah. So for some people they find it very important, but for a lot of other individuals, uh, if they uh, get the right information, they feel it's not as important of a factor. Okay. Uh, the features can be the same if you wanted it to be. and So so, one the, of the
0: th- so then it really comes down to how you pay. And it's those, those RBC Hazlitt ones, as you described earlier, you lock in a rate for the entirety of the life cycle mm. of the plan. And so basically, you know what you're going to pay forever, but that means you pay more up front. Cool. And then for the group plans, your your uh, cost steadily increases as you age. And so as you go through time, cost goes up. Correct. Okay. Yep. Well, it's good to know. And I mean, and then it's just what do you want? And so if you're someone who doesn't like uncertainty, RBC is great. You're going to know exactly what you're going to pay for the rest of your life until age 65. Uh, whereas doctors of BC things may change.
1: Yes and I should probably put a caveat on that point about uh, knowing what the cost would be. Uh, you would know the cost of the coverage that you already have in place with RBC but when you buy more coverage it yes. is based on that age at that time. Right. So I should point out Jeff that I didn't mention earlier in the podcast was that in residency, the Doctors of BC plan is actually not an association plan. It's actually an individual plan Mm. that the resident holds directly with Manulife. Now Mm. that's really technical, but I bring that up. Mm. I bring that up because with your employer disability plan, there's a provision called an offset, meaning that your employer disability 66.67% plan would reduce payments if you have other group or association plans. Uh, yeah, so... You
0: beat me to my next question. Oh, sorry,
1: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So- no, go down. This is great.
0: This is exactly what we need to talk
1: about. And so uh, Doctors of BC, again, being the association for the members, we really want to do the best for the members. And so we were able to negotiate a contract that made that plan that we offer to residents a truly individual plan, similar Perfect. to RBC. And so our plan will pay out in addition to the employer plan, just like as RBC would as well, and the employer plan.
0: So that was my next question. I, I want to ask it clearly and then get the clear yes, which I know you're going to give me, just so I never have to answer this in a text message again. <laughs> <laughs> so I get my disability insurance for being a resident, and then I'm going to buy extra disability insurance. If I become disabled can I claim the full value of both of those policies? Yes. Okay. We're going to ask it one more time. <laughs> if I get disabled as a resident and I claim through my employer disability and I also have supplemental private disability, can I can claim both for their full value?
1: Yes, correct. Boom. Boom. Yes.
0: I will never answer that text message again. <laughs> All right. And should, should I
1: should I add one more thing for people coming out of medical school from a different Ooh. province and has a different association plan like the OMA or AMA right? or Very so interesting. SMA? Yeah. So unfortunately with your employer plan and how it was negotiated, it does say that it would reduce payments based on other group or association plans. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, if you do have that other coverage, I'm not saying to cancel that other coverage. There could be very good value in keeping it. You should speak to your medical association insurance rep or from where you purchased it and let them know right. you're coming to BC or talk to doctors of BC about it.
0: So that is a very interesting corner case. And I'll say I did fall into that because I did my medical school in Ontario. Mm-hmm. And they do have an OMA plan, which is an association plan. So that that's interesting to know. So... If you fall into that gray zone, look into it a little further. You may have double coverage with no clear benefit.
1: Correct. In, in the short term, I mm. should say, yeah. While you're resident.
0: But when you, yeah, when you become staff, different story. Okay. So now that we've settled that, I think the next big question I wanted to go down with you is there is this big hubbub about changes coming in January 2020 with your specific insurance product, which is one of the reasons we wanted to have you on before January 2020. So first of all, can you just... Sketch out what those changes are and why the timeline matters.
1: Yes. So, yes, January 15th, 2020. So previously, we always allowed residents to get onto our resident disability plan at any time, even like the last day before practice. And so, the long story short, so we have a time restriction for people to get onto the policy. So, and so that uh, deadline is January 15th for everybody who's currently a resident. We're letting them get on the plan, no questions asked. There is a regular pre-existing limitation period of 12 months, meaning that you can't make a claim for an existing condition in the next 12 months of being insured. But anytime after that, you can make a claim for that condition. And so any new resident coming to BC would have 90 days to get onto the plan without proof of good health. Again, no medical questions asked, but a limited time period now.
0: Okay, that's really good to know. So if this is something that you think will matter for you, and you like the plan that Julie, you sketched out earlier, the doctors of BC plan, then you do have A very limited time to act. (laughs) 15th of January, 2020. So that's in like less than 30 days. So make an appointment.
1: Yeah. Speak to one of our uh, licensed non-commissioned advisors. They'll give you some advice. I expect that it'll be very busy volume in early January. However, you can always just send in a form as well just to get it in and talk to someone afterwards.
0: Okay, and then that brings me to my next question, which is one that comes up a lot, which is a very weird edge case that exists in British Columbia, which is the value of being on your specific plan over RBC or Hazlitt as I transition to staff. So what is the value? I'm aware of this nebulous idea that if you're on disability insurance as a resident here in BC, there's some big positive to it.
1: Mm-hmm, yes. So if you're practicing immediately after an either fellowship or residency and that, you know, we allow time for travels and things like that. But if you're going to pretty much practice in BC, then you can get onto the government disability plan. So BC has a unique government paid disability plan that provides you with up to $6,100 of disability coverage per month tax free to you. So that's a really good plan because not only does it provide you with a $6,100 coverage that you don't necessarily then have to pay out of pocket for in terms of premiums, but also that it starts on the first day of hospitalization or the 15th day of disability, whereas your own regular disability plan usually starts on the 90th day of disability.
0: That's one thing we didn't talk about was the exclusion time, 90 days. I believe the employer one is actually five months, 90 days for the private plans. Employer plan is... 150 days.
1: Yeah, the five months because you have short-term disability paid for for five months. Exactly. So the,
0: the in in essence, we have coverage from day zero, mm-hmm. but they are two different mechanisms to provide that coverage.
1: Mm-hmm. We glossed over that. I hope no one's too. <laughs> I hope no one no one gets too caught up
0: about that. Basically, let me. Okay, sorry. I'm I'm sorry, audience, but we're just gonna have to break into that very quickly. So most disability insurance plans say that you can't get on it the moment you get ill. The majority of plans say there's a 90-day time period between when you get ill until when disability insurance kicks in. So basically 90 days where you have no coverage. In British Columbia as residents, your employer will continue to pay your salary for five months after the date of illness, which essentially acts as a short-term coverage or bridge until the disability insurance plan kicks in, which is five months later. So what you need to know is sleep soundly. There is no time period where you will not get some form of income if you need to access disability insurance
1: while a resident yes while a resident yes
0: what you're now telling me is that this magical government plan we're talking about a doesn't have any premiums if i understand correct i don't have to pay to be on it if i qualify
1: correct it's that's pretty dope yes
0: that's cheap zero is very cheap (laughs) there's no exclusionary time period there's no 90 day waiting period
1: no that 14 day wait period so claiming on the 15th day or first day of hospitalization
0: okay and i get 6100 per month if i qualify Correct. And it's own-OC, right?
1: No, it's regular-OC, but regular-OC oh. throughout. So okay. Okay. so the government doesn't want you to be earning billions of dollars yeah, um, fair, while disabled. Fair. So they <laughs> say, we'll do the even-steven. If you're working outside and earning money, we'll reduce your benefits.
0: Okay. So this is actually amazing. This is a very good disability insurance plan. Which is only available to physicians in British Columbia.
1: Well, earning MSP billings. So you could be in, say, Alberta, as long as you're earning MSP billings. And that could be sessional fee mm-hmm. for service mm-hmm. or service or uh, service contract. Sessional service contract and fee for service. So, so pretty some much anybody, way of generating yeah.
0: income in British Columbia can qualify for this. And if I'm a resident and I'm on one of your, and by your I mean doctors of British Columbia, disability plans before the end of residency... I transition to this super awesome unicorn plan that the government offers without any medical, correct?
1: Correct. So a couple of things too that I should point out, Jeff, is that the Physician's Disability Plan, you don't pay any of the premiums, but because the government is paying your premiums, you do report the premiums, the, the premiums they paid on your behalf as a taxable benefit. So it's, oh. it's a small amount of tax. Yeah. Exactly. That's the way I feel about it. It's a small amount of tax for a plan for a that benefit. you can't even get you can't even purchase that type of yeah. plan because of the quick payout. And it does last until age 65. Right. So it is a, truly a great plan. It's probably yeah. worth $60,000 over your career span that the government's paying. Yeah. Uh, so if you are on the resident disability plan for at least $2,000 of coverage, at least 12 months prior to practice. Mm-hmm. then you can get onto the government disability. It's not the same plan. You usually should have two plans in addition to the government right. disability because it's just not enough for most people's income. Yeah. Um, but you can apply for the government disability without proof of health. And that's pretty amazing because mm-hmm. we have, so, by the time you come out of residency, there's so many things, you know, you don't even think <laughs> about it. Like
0: We get old, uh, you get old. <gasps> suddenly you have hypothyroidism well, and now it's an excluded condition.
1: Com- completely, like yeah. back pain for standing on a, uh, during a 16-hour shift yeah, yeah. and reporting that to your GP uh, and complaining about it, that actually creates, you know, potential exclusion. So, you know, something so minor like that or, you know, taking up hobbies and deciding to go backcountry skiing and and such, that could be exclusions on a policy.
0: Right. So I think the takeaway if you've got lost in the mumbo jumbo is A, we sound more excited. Why do we sound more (laughs) excited? Because this government plan is really good, but the only way to get on it easily without any exclusions is to be on the Doctors of BC insurance plan as a resident. It doesn't work if you're on RBC, it doesn't work if you're on Hazlet, and it doesn't work if you're on the employer-offered plan. Correct. Okay. There's huge value to getting onto the Doctors of BC insurance plan if you project to work in the province of British Columbia as a staff.
1: Correct. Okay. Yes.
0: That's and our that's our high-level takeaway.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know if they're going to be leaving BC, and fair it's, enough, who, yeah. who knows where you're going to be yeah. or if you're going to do a fellowship somewhere else, and so...
0: So that that was actually my next question. And maybe I'm giving away my personal plans too much here. But I'm a resident of British Columbia. I'm fairly certain I'll be doing a fellowship in another province. So would this then not be helpful for me?
1: Not necessarily. So did... <sighs> Doctors of BC plan can cover you. The the problem with the sort of the name of Doctors of BC is a lot of people think it's just BC. However, we cover physicians who are practicing in Dubai, Vietnam, wherever. And so you just have to pay a non-resident membership fee, which is currently $50 a year. uh, So quite minor compared to your premiums. And so you could continue on the plan. It would cover you in fellowship. And the good news is that you get it still at the residency rates, at really low rates. Like 200 bucks a year. Yeah, exactly. And then, so if you do return to BC, you can continue on the plan and get the government disability.
0: Without the medical?
1: Correct. Without the Uh, medical because you've had it 12 months prior to practice uh, at least.
0: So there's still value even if you think you're going to do a fellowship elsewhere so long as the eventual plan is to come back to
1: British Columbia. Correct. Uh, You do have to end up coming back to BC to practice right after your last fellowship Yeah. uh, to qualify without the proof of good health. So you don't have to make your decision now. In terms of you want to keep your doors open, gotcha. No matter where your career brings you, and then of course if you settle somewhere else, I know I think you're from Ontario. Yep. right? Why would you're I sitting, move there? Mm. <laughs> uh, so if there's another province that you're looking uh, forward to going to, uh, you, again, you know, this situation is you could continue your doctor's of BC disability as a practicing physician for your lifetime.
0: Right, but I just wouldn't get the value of the provincial plan. But that's a different, correct, different issue. Gotcha. Right. Okay. So whenever we have this conversation, I always hope we've brought clarity to the issue, and I always worry that we haven't. So are are there any important questions we haven't asked that you would like to touch on? Because I've run through everything that I thought was important to chat about.
1: Yeah, you know, if I were to summarize, Jeff, I would say that really people should have another plan. And again, yes. make sure that you have it with an organization uh, that really focuses on physicians. Sometimes people go to their cousin who just became a licensed advisor. And right. you can tell when I see that policy, I know they've been dealing <laughs> with someone who's not experienced. And, uh, you know, get a couple of opinions. Uh, you know, don't feel pressured ever to go to any one carrier yeah. or, or feel... Uh, threatened or scared sometimes Mm -hmm. with insurance people are sort of scared into doing something and just do something that you know would um, make you most comfortable and would protect you well and think about the future so not just today but what can protect you throughout your long-term career
0: gotcha that's great advice i know personally the way i've always thought about it is does the number i get from all my disability plans added together equal a number that I would be comfortable living off of and paying my debt off of. That's how I've made my own decision. And yeah, if the answer is yes, then you're good. You can sleep well at night. (laughs) Cool. Well, Julie, thank you very much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. And uh, I think if we want to follow up with you guys, there's some online form where I can book an appointment.
1: Yes, so you can go to insurance at doctorsofbc.ca so the full name uh, d-o-c-t-o-r-s-o-f-b-c.ca insurance yep. at doctorsofbc.ca to get more information or you can Google us uh, and so you can book an appointment with one of our licensed non commission advisors Super. and uh, get some help even if you have coverage elsewhere yeah. we're happy just to comment or like physician's yeah. disability when the government plan when you're going into practice we're right. always um, happy to help you so just uh come to us get some good advice and then make your decisions from there
0: awesome yeah and uh i guess i should have said this at the start but this is not a paid advertisement we did not get any money for this unfortunately that would have been nice (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the big thing i wanted to highlight for residents listening was that time thing the 15th of january is a big deal if we want to get on your plan so that we can eventually get on the government plan if we plan to practice in the province so thank you very much for taking the time, and.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me here. Thank you.